0: You're listening to On The Money with Dynamic Funds, the podcast series that delivers access, insights, and perspective from some of the industry's most respected active managers and thought leaders. From market commentaries and economic analysis to personal finance, investing, and beyond, On The Money covers it all. Because when it comes to your money, we're on it. Welcome to another edition of On The Money. I'm your host, Mark Brisley. A constant throughout our history is that we humans continually look for ways to make our lives and specifically our work more efficient. There have been so many transformational and disruptive developments that have changed our lives forever with respect to new technology development, all with the intent to make our lives better and more productive. If we go old school and talk about disruptors like the steam engine or flight and the telephone, that's one way to think about it, but let's be more relevant here. Talk about modern disruptors of just the past 50 years that have changed our lives. Personal computers, cell phones, the internet, social media. And now, alongside cloud computing, machine learning, and robotics, is what many believe to be the catalyst for the beginning of a fourth industrial revolution, artificial intelligence. AI is definitely interesting, definitely transformative, and it's definitely disruptive. But for many, it's also scary. As with any new technology or development that will have broad-based application globally and on just about every facet of our life, there is always the question of how to become involved in a sustainable trend in development of new technology from an investing perspective. If we think of modern-day megatech giants like Apple, Google, Amazon, and Microsoft, just to name a few, all of these were companies on the cutting edge of new technology. And by extension, it became foundational for investors to capitalize on the growth and emergence of these new technologies. Not surprisingly, these same companies are on the front lines of massive investment into AI development within their own infrastructure. But this theme isn't just limited to the tech space. Every sector in the investing universe will be impacted at some point by artificial intelligence, including wealth management, investment firms, and banking. The latest development within the AI space, causing the biggest stir, is Generative AI. This is an emerging class of technologies that produce content, including text, graphics, and even videos. Alongside its more mature predecessors, Generative AI has the incredible power to automate the creation of content. This is a market that continues to advance rapidly, and leaders across industries consistently report how important this technology is to their future. In fact, in a recent report by Deloitte on the state of AI in the enterprise, 94% of business leaders in that survey reported that AI is critical to their success over the next five years. So, to unpack more on why it's important to know about it from an investment lens, I'm joined by portfolio manager Vishal Patel, Michelle's a passionate investor who runs over 5 billion in assets for us here at Dynamic Funds. Takes a keen interest in this rapidly emerging area of technology to think about how it will be adopted, how it will impact the way we work and play, and perhaps most importantly, what it means for investments and portfolios. Michelle, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Mark. So, what's a simple way for our listeners to think about AI and where we are, you know, in the overall development here? One of the simplest ways to think about AI, to
1: think about the impact that this can have on people, our lives, the way we work, the way we think, the way we communicate, is this idea of Netflix, right? And, you know, Netflix knows, you know, what are the movies that you've watched. And so a basic, basic AI, algorithm-based, would actually be a recommender system. And so a recommender system essentially knows every single movie that you've watched and then it asks you to rate it. And based on that, it's able to recommend, You know what are some additional programs you might like? What are some additional genres that you would like? And so that's like a very basic way to think about AI, but that's like step one, where we've gone to now, you know, version 2.0, 3.0, and what's causing a lot of hype right now is what you just talked about from a generative AI perspective and a simple way to think about generative AI You know, there was a picture of uh, the Pope recently wearing a puffer jacket, but, you know, that's something that generative AI can do is take a picture and, you know, put a puffer jacket and, you know, I'm 90% sure that, uh, you know, that wasn't a real picture. And uh, I don't think the Pope was wearing a white puffer jacket, but it looked pretty real to me.
0: You know, it's interesting doing the research for this podcast and just a lot of the reading that I came across. AI in theory, it's not really new. You know, if you think about the uh, sort of early rudimentary stages like chatbots, They were around in the 60s. I mean, there was a movie done about it in 2001, A Space Odyssey, right? With Hal. But how do we think about AI adoption now? Like we've come a long way and it's super advanced. And it's going to get even more advanced. And I would say it's like anything else, right? If you step back
1: earlier, you mentioned different kinds of revolution, you know, whether it was the PC revolution, internet, mobile, you know, the things that were able to allow that was let's just take network and network bandwidth. I remember when telephones were like the size of a brick. But then we went from that to actually having, you know, smartphones. Uh, if you remember, we had Blackberries, right? And Blackberries had keyboards, and nobody thought that you can actually have a device without a keyboard. But then, as these devices got faster and as networks got faster, you know, whether you get two G, three G, five G, the ability to have more bandwidth allowed for more applications, allowed for more data, allowed for video, right? And there was this huge transition from PC to mobile, and what we've seen with video uh, has been tremendous. And so similar, you know, when you think about AI and AI adoption, correct, it's been around for a long period of time. You know, I just mentioned a basic recommender system. I believe ChatGBT is, um, you know, what's creating a lot of hype in this notion of generative AI is creating hype and it's becoming more useful to essentially society and population. When you look at historically um, to get 100 million users, it's taken companies, you know, five years, six years, you know, X number of months. You know, ChatGPT was able to get to 100 million in two months and a lot of people are using it. So there's definitely been more adoption. Essentially, if you think data is the new oil, you have more and more data uh, and you have faster and faster computers and you have faster and faster processing. And so this is what's allowing for more and more AI. It's allowing for more and more AI adoption. Now, whether the curve is gonna be fast or whether it's gonna be slow, it's really gonna depend industry by industry. And then, you know, I wanna use another story You know, we used to go to uh, shoppers jug mart and this notion of an automated checkout has been there for at least 10, 15 years. In Canada, I believe there was at least one or two public companies that we could have bought, you know, whether it's Costco or anyone else to have these self checkouts. But self checkout didn't, you know, really take off until more recently when you walk into a shoppers or Costco, you see more and more self checkouts. So A, labor costs are a little bit higher now, but B, you know, the customer is getting more and more comfortable. Uh, using some of these systems. So, you know, the same thing when you think about AI and AI adoption. You know, one of the things I encourage everyone to do is, you know, to play with uh, the tools, right? So, you know, go and open up an account, it's free. You don't have to get the $20 premium account. And there's gonna be more and more services. You know, this is just version 1.0. Just imagine where we're gonna be, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. So like anything else, uh, you know, this technology is gonna evolve, but I do think it's gonna get better. It's gonna get smarter. And you know, as you get more data, as you get more speed, that's gonna help solve the world's most complex problems. That's what you know. The CEO of Nvidia, Jensen, continues to say, is you know, tools are gonna to help solve our most complex problems. You know, and he's very excited about uh, the possibilities of what AI can do, specifically in the healthcare space.
0: You know, despite what we just saw happen with the banking crisis, we are seeing venture capital flowing to AI startups. Um, we're seeing every major corporation put out a paper on how they're thinking about things. But who's really leading in the space? I mentioned some big tech names at the beginning, but it's way bigger than that. That's a great question. And
1: just think about open AI, right? Was open AI supposed to be open and open sourced and for the public? Or is this actually a private enterprise? Does Microsoft actually own a big equity stake? And is Microsoft the leader? So if we want to unpackage this a little bit, I would first start by saying, I don't think anyone actually owns the space. You know, I would say that there's leaders in the space. But like the internet, I don't think anyone actually owns the internet. I would say I don't think anyone actually owns AI, uh, at least if you think about it from a holistic investment lens. What I would say is that there are current leaders, and I would say the current leaders have been thinking about this and investing in the space for years. You know, if you listen to a Microsoft call or an NVIDIA call or a Google call, you know, for the past five, six, seven, eight years, you know, each and every single one of them on their quarterly conference calls has mentioned AI, AI spend, AI adoption, you know, all the buzzwords we've been using today So I would say that these companies have a lot of money. Uh, They're big, they're spending, they have the infrastructure. You know, earlier I mentioned, you know, what's going to allow for more and more adoption. You know, so why Microsoft? You know, Microsoft has Azure, right? So they're a huge player in the cloud. There's a lot of uh, data in the cloud. So, you know, earlier I mentioned you need data, you need cloud, but you also need compute power in the cloud. And, you know, that's a company like NVIDIA, which makes semiconductors and, you know, graphics processing units specifically. You know, that's this idea of accelerated computing. So I would say, you know, currently the big leaders, I would say, are NVIDIA, and that's from a chips and hardware perspective. I would say Microsoft and the potential investment idea that they have with open AI, but also what's going to happen with data center and cloud. If you have more and more companies that are interested, you know, you're going to have more data in the cloud. You're going to have more analytics. You're going to have more tools, and you're definitely going to have them lead. And even Bing, you know, Bing was never really a great search engine, but if Microsoft is leading in AI. You know, are they going to take some market share from Google? You know, Google's stock uh, recently has been significantly impaired by, you know, they launched, uh, you know, their version and it wasn't as good. But look, I think uh, the management team there is excited and, you know, they have some interesting white papers in the space. But look, you're right, the big companies right now, they got big budgets and they're leading. And when you look at our portfolios, actually, we own a lot of these big tech companies and we like them uh, going forward. But I would say what every single tech executive worries about is what you were just talking about, this ecosystem. So if you actually go to Silicon Valley, there's parks and you actually have AI meetups. And at these AI meetups, you know, you have some VC people there and the VC guy will write you a check and then you'll create something. And, you know, similar to like Internet, Amazon was essentially created because of the Internet and the Internet revolution. You know, there's a whole bunch of companies that were created. So this notion of companies that are going to be destroyed and companies that are going to be created. You know, I do think capitalism works, and you're going to see new and new businesses created using AI and specific use cases. So, I would say nobody owns a space, first of all. There are companies leading the big ones. But if you're willing to look forward, uh, and this business has always been about looking forward, you know, what companies worry about is, you know, are there two people in a garage uh, that come up with something really, really cool and really, really disruptive? But for us, currently, how we're thinking about it has really been the mega cap stocks
0: it doesn't seem like there's going to be a sector, from an investable sector standpoint, that isn't going to be affected by AI. And, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, we've talked about tech, but you know, with tech and where it's going to be deployed, what are some of the other areas that we really think the, in the immediate term that we're gonna see AI emerge, or at least have a lot of attention, if not capital deployed towards it? Sectors is crucial. The way we think about investing is based on 11
1: sectors. We have analysts on the team uh, that do research on the different sectors, and this is actually the question I've asked uh, the research team to spend a lot of time thinking about. It's the question we should be asking the management teams and the companies that we invest in from a sector perspective. So whether it's our financial services analyst, our industrial analyst, our consumer staples analyst, and discretionary. So let's take a sector-by-sector approach here. I do think that there are sectors actually that are not going to be as impacted, and that actually makes them quite valuable from a durability. Because they're not going to be disrupted so let's use that and let's start with that a little bit first you know take basic materials you know i'm not sure copper or gold are really going to be impacted by ai and the reason i say that is i'm not sure in the physical world so you know this idea of physical world versus digital world so in the physical world you know physical commodities i think are actually going to be okay and i'm not sure they're going to be impacted that much then you know this idea of oil right energy and the energy sector you know i'm not sure ai is necessarily going to disrupt the energy sector are you
0: going to be able to use ai to find more discoveries and discover more oil maybe maybe processes or data that kind of determines extraction methodology that type of thing yeah so that's possible so i would put these you know extractive industries uh, probably
1: at the lower end you know in the middle of what we have you know and going back to this idea of the physical world versus the digital world You know, you're wearing a really nice suit today. Things in the physical world, I don't think are gonna be as impacted. And so from an investment lens, you know, whether it's something like paint or something like shoes or something like clothing, you know, I think the metaverse, there was a lot of hype in terms of, you know, is there gonna be a Nike shoe or a Hermes bag in the metaverse? But when I think about AI, you know, I'm not sure from consumer staples, there's gonna be no AI for eating or something of that sort. So consumer staples, not so much, consumer discretionary, not so much, energy materials. Where I do think you're gonna have significant disruption, you know, we just talked about technology, but I would say the second area um, where there's gonna be significant disruption is actually our business, you know, financial services. And the reason why financial services from a sector by sector perspective is because the financial services sector is more digital. So, you know, the pendulum or the mental model you should use is the physical world versus the digital world. And so if we're thinking about banking, you know, core banking has gone more and more digital. You know, if you speak to any bank. Uh, You know, they're proud of telling you how many people are using mobile and how you need less branches, but you know, is that potentially a risk, right? If something like banking um, uses, you know, more and more digital tools or payments. So, you know, I think financial services and how you process financial services and whether it's insurance, PNC insurance, auto auto claims, you know, this notion of digital, I think financial services is an area uh, definitely of opportunity. But also of risks. And I would recommend anyone listen or, you know, read Jamie Diamond and his annual report. You know, he's got a whole paragraph dedicated to AI and its impact on a large financial institution like his, the number of data scientists they have, the number of machine engineering, the number of processes that they've been thinking about, the number of use cases, fraud, data, data protection, the ethical use of AI uh, as a financial services company is also something that he mentions. So financial services is definitely um, something uh, we need to think about longer term then let's talk about industrials right industrials is a very interesting one you know think about caterpillar or deer or the railroads you know can they be more efficient and you know we haven't hit on autonomous and autonomous driving but you know there are AI based and so you know can you actually push a button and you know have a tractor feel that's going to be cut for you and things of that sort you know, so industrials is also something uh, when we think about efficiency, and I do like thinking about AI uh, from a neutral positive perspective and from an efficiency perspective.
0: Okay, let's talk about, you know, an elephant in the room to overuse click cliche, but there's some fear around the technology. And actually, you know, one of the things I kept running into as well was AI and robotics seem to be inextricably linked. And part of the fear you're reading about is, you know, this idea of, artificially intelligent robots taking over the world and taking my job and changing all these things so first of all why is the fear out there is it valid this technology is meant to help not cause panic but it, it seems to be having a, a rather different impact on different people yeah no this is um front
1: and center it's front and center with governments it's front and center with business leaders and look with any big you know mega trend you know you mentioned the industrial Revolution, You know, a lot of people were worried about their jobs. But look, we haven't even talked about military and military use cases. You know, I mentioned industrials, you know, military fits into that industrial complex. But look, there's definitely a lot of fear. Uh, And there's fear with any new technology and the adoption of any new technology. And this is why, you know, certain people think, you know, development should be slowed down and are we going a little bit too fast and are you going to actually break things? But look, it's definitely something where I think governments actually need to uh, come together Um, You know, you don't wanna have mass panic. (laughs) Um, And so government regulation, I think is gonna be important. I think government policy is gonna be important. And I do think that uh, a lot of business leaders and government leaders uh, are thinking about this. You know, earlier we just talked about uh, the potential for more and more adoption, but as we get more and more adoption, you know, should you actually have more and more regulation and should we be thinking this through? You know, imagine all the harm that can be caused if you can actually create, you know, not just a fake picture, but a fake video you know, imagine you have a business leader or a politician, and it's all actually fake. You know, so these are actually things uh, that we need to be worried about. Or even, you know, take homework for example. You know, if students are using this to do their homework, you know, how do you actually have some accountability? So yeah, there's definitely a lot of fear out there. But you know, for me, I, the way I really think about it is man plus machine. You know, one plus one is equal to three. You know, think about this whole notion of uh, Iron Man, the ability to fly, and you have Jarvis. And, you know I, know, I understand that's a movie, but, you know, that's sort of maybe uh, the direction that uh, we can think about in terms of going. But I would be, uh, you know, quite positive about uh, what's going to happen because over time, you know, earlier when you mentioned uh, different revolutions, you know, everyone used to be in farming, um, you know, the jobs eventually will change. And it's interesting because a lot of people thought you should actually go in and become a computer programmer, But, you know, if you could use AI tools to do computer programming for you, do you actually need that many computer programmers? But I would say overall, I think this is going to make people more efficient. I think it's going to make jobs uh, more efficient. And over time, technology does lead to all of us having uh, better lives. So I understand that there's a lot of fear and there's uh, rightful reasons to be fearful. But I would also say that uh, there's a lot of uh, good and a lot of things to be optimistic about, especially, you know, we haven't touched on healthcare as a sector yet. But, you know, when you think about healthcare and what this can do for healthcare, improving patients, improving patient lives and improving the livelihood for each and every single one of us, you know, I think that there's actually a lot of positives, but this is where governments need to step in because if this is as big as, you know, we think it's going to be, you're definitely going to have some government intervention.
0: Well, and there's always going to be different views, right? And I know privacy is a big thing, but when I think about people that are opposed to the idea, I think about how AI is already in our life. And I think about your online presence and and e-commerce. And how, based on search patterns, advertising is being pushed to you via artificial intelligence that's gathering that data. I'll speak only for myself. It's made my finding things easier and more tailored and customized. But there are other people that would find it invasive. Extremely right. So you know, this is what happened with um, you know Meta,
1: which is Facebook, um, and the data that they were using and collecting and. You know, when you use a service like that, that's free, you know, you're actually, uh, you know, the, essentially the product that they're selling is your data. And so, the, yeah, privacy is definitely something uh, we need to think about. And this goes back to, you know, when you think about privacy, privacy laws and, you know, even data and ethical use of data, you know, take a bank, for example, you know, what data can they use? What data can they not use? You know, what can you actually put? You know, these are all things that need to be well thought out, and that's why some level of policy and regulation could actually be beneficial to everyone in the ecosystem.
0: So, speaking of that, and I wanted to actually ask you for an explanation first. Um, I wanted to ask you about the Chip Act and the ban that's been placed on high-end semiconductors. Uh, let's just go through what that is first, and then how's this going to impact the space?
1: Yeah, this is interesting because we just mentioned, you know, government, government intervention, policy, and the Chip Act actually plays into that because. You know, the raw, raw, raw uh, of AI is actually, you know, compute, compute power and chips, right? And faster and faster chips is going to allow for faster and faster processing. And so the Chip Act is very interesting because, you know, if you're the United States of America, if majority of chips are actually manufactured in Taiwan. And so there's huge risk in terms of, you know, what happens with Taiwan, right? And you could read about in the newspaper, you know, there's ships that are going through the Taiwan Strait and, you know, there's risk every day, especially when you have a lot of uh, manufacturing capacity uh, in Taiwan. So, what the chip act is actually trying to do is to actually have more manufacturing in the United States and to diversify that manufacturing base away. But this tells you how important it is, um, and it's not important because chips are important. It's important because chips are used in everything we do—not just your computer, your data center. Everything we're talking about right now uh, works on chips, and this is why. You know, a company like NVIDIA is one of the best performing companies in the S&P 500 this year. And so I would say that the CHIP Act is crucial towards diversifying. But this goes back. Governments are aware of AI. The governments are aware of why it's important. But the second piece is there's actually bans now as well in terms of what you can export because of the military component, right? So I'm going to use NVIDIA again as an example. They have something called an A100 chip, and that's one of the things driving chat GBT, right? And so you have mine. X number of um, A100 chips. But if you can't get A100 chips into China, you know, is there military and military uses of some of the things, you know, we talked about the fear piece earlier, you know, there's a lot of things the mind can come up with uh, in terms of military and military uses. But this is why I think the CHIP Act is uh, is a huge positive, because uh, it's essentially going to be able to uh, hopefully uh, level uh, the manufacturing playing field Uh, With respect to Taiwan, the United States, and you know, the Chip Act uh, is is more U.S. focused. But you know, imagine some manufacturing happening in Japan, some manufacturing happening in Europe, and so over time, I think you know, going back to the global and policy and leaders, you know, having diversification uh, across the globe is probably a huge benefit.
0: Moving away from this specific topic, but bringing it back through a conversation that is on everybody's mind these days is inflation. You know, what the heck does inflation have to do with a conversation about AI? So. How could or does this technology impact inflation, and where we see it today? You know, a lot of the questions are
1: sort of connected, and the inflation is is a good question because you know earlier you mentioned there's fear, and you know certain people could be more fearful uh, of job and job losses. You know, I'm not sure we're gonna have as many job losses, but it goes back, you know, sector to sector approach. You know, I I would say that you know there's elements of uh, this technology that could be deflationary, and there's elements that can actually be inflationary. So a good friend of mine, actually, um, we had a chat about uh, last week, we spent 30 minutes talking about this topic, because we spent a lot of time talking about inflation. He's the head of a global investment bank. So he's the one who came up with this notion that it could be a bit deflationary. And he's taking that approach of, you know, if you've had wage, wage inflation, specifically for the services sector. But when I look a little bit deeper, that could apply to one sector of the economy. But then there's areas of the economy that still have a lot of inflation. And this goes back to our first question, what's going to be disrupted? What's not going to be disrupted? You know, what do you want your kids to do? You know, plumbers, electricians, tailors, you know, the rates for, you know, all of these things have continued to go up. Uh, And then when we think about the inflation figure itself, you know, food and energy. And, you know, earlier I mentioned food, not really going to be too impacted. Energy, maybe a little bit. So, you know, I'm not sure if this is going to be huge deflationary aspect to AI, but this is why it's a topic a lot of people uh, have been talking about. Uh, But I think they're looking at it from a wage, inflation, and maybe that services sector. And financial services is a services sector.
0: Yeah, and we're an investing company. This is an investing show. Just recently, I saw Morgan Stanley announced that on their wealth management side of their business, they're going to be deploying a customized version of uh, OpenAI product set we're going to see this into investment banking and basic day-to-day banking and um, and wealth management for sure. Let's look at it from your perspective as an investor. You know, you're know, you a portfolio manager, you manage portfolios. How is AI being represented in your mandates that, that you run and, and how do you see it growing or having a larger impact in client portfolios over the next little while?
1: Yeah, look, this has been something front and center that I've been thinking about for years right so this is nothing new i think earlier you mentioned this is nothing new you know if you listen to a conference call from microsoft or listen to any you know google or any of the big companies they've been talking about ai for a long period of time so you know when you look at our funds and you look at the top 10 holdings you know you're going to see in the top 10 apple google nvidia and you know these are not new positions for us you know we've been investing in the space for a long long period of time uh it just happens that there's a lot of interest right now, especially with generative AI and people using chat GBT. But I would say for our mandates, um, you know, we went through sector by sector: what's going to be uh, disrupted, what's not going to be disrupted. We've always taken a balanced approach. We don't run a full tech fund, right? You know, I don't have an innovators fund or anything uh, like that, and I'm not sure I would want to. And the reason I say that is, you want to have that art of portfolio management. I think is one of the things we've talked about in the past. So there's this healthy balance of, you know, having things. Like consumer staples, having some energy, having some materials, having uh, different areas of the market represented uh, in client portfolios, but also including you know some of this disruptive technology. So, you want to have things that are going to be around 5, 10, 15 years from now, but you also want to invest in the companies that are leading edge, that are going to change the way people work and play. Um, and right now, uh, it's really been uh, the big, large, mega cap stocks. And it's one of the reasons our funds have done well uh, on a year-to-date basis but also on a three and five year basis um, but the homework that the company and the team um, and the analysts we mentioned you know their job is going to be very interesting over the next three to five years because one of the things we believe is that access matters but you know one of the things we also have is a lot of access uh, to corporate management teams and traveling so this should be actually one of the questions we need to ask every single company and every single management team is you know what is your AI strategy how are you thinking about AI adoption You know, some of the topics that we just hit right now, you know, we're going to get more and more comfortable with. And so I would say that, you know, each and every single portfolio manager, analyst, you know, this is something uh, they should be thinking about in terms of how it's going to change the companies, uh, whether it's from an inflation perspective, a deflation perspective, from a cost perspective, you know, how do you sell your products to how you market your products. So, you know, I'm very excited about the future. um, And, you know, I can't wait to see how this all evolves and it's going to happen in our lifetime.
0: So Vishal, specifically um, with respect to the money that you manage, um, where are you represented sector-wise in terms of artificial intelligence?
1: Yeah, so there's the direct and then there's the indirect way to think about this. So look, we mentioned the large uh, mega cap tech companies like Microsoft and NVIDIA. So they're definitely represented in their top 10 holdings across uh, client portfolios. But I would say, you know, when we talked about the different use cases, you know, healthcare uh, is another big opportunity. Uh, and it is represented uh, and think about robotics and what you could do in terms of robotic surgery and things of that sort. But then, you know, I just mentioned industrial and industrial automation and using robots and in industrial automation. So I would say we have actually good exposure uh, across sectors. So you know, whether it's industrials or healthcare or technology, uh, I would say 100%, uh, you know, we're going to benefit and clients are going to benefit uh,
0: given all the homework we're doing on this space. You know. Leading up to and during the pandemic, we saw the emergence of robo advice, definitely a form of artificial intelligence in the investing world based on, you know, data that's been fed into these systems, going through what have been difficult market conditions over the last 18 months, haven't seen or heard as much about robo advice. Now we are hearing about like I mentioned earlier with Morgan Stanley adopting, you know, AI within wealth management processes, but it goes back to your point of man plus machine, right? So you seem to be a big proponent of that. What's your view on how we've seen AI so far in investing and wealth management in places like robo-advisors?
1: Yeah, you know, this is an interesting one. And take me, for example, right? I'm a huge believer in Bloomberg. You know, I, I love Mayor Bloomberg. I recommend the Bloomberg book, you know, Warren Buffett, number one on my list, Mayor Bloomberg, number two. There's actually something called Bloomberg GPT that's going to be coming out but you know, I'm a better investor uh, because of my use of Bloomberg. I use the terminal every day. I've been a long-term user of the terminal, but this is the perfect example of man plus machine. So take me plus the Bloomberg terminal and we have better outcomes for our clients. And so that's one way to think about it. And that's the future of how you can think about it from a portfolio manager lens. But the robo advice and the robo advice is an interesting one because there's this still idea that you need human touch. I'm a huge believer in human touch. This is why you know dynamic funds invest with advice. A lot of people thought that, you know, the, the role of an advisor was going to go away and you're going to have robo. So, you know, don't believe all the hype because I would say that the role of an advisor has never been more important. You know, that physical touch that we mentioned, you know, what does an advisor do? An advisor actually has, um, you know, meets the client, has phys- understands their family. So this physical idea, you know, earlier when we talked about the digital world plus the physical world, I would say that this notion of human, human touch is extremely important. This is why uh, I think advisors uh, are going to be more and more required in the future. You know, if you have your money and it's just pure robo and interactive, I'm not sure. So I don't think a lot of the big robo platforms have taken off in the big way uh, that a lot of people thought the adoption curve was going to happen there. Now, can an advisor have tools like a Bloomberg? And, you know, you just mentioned uh, Morgan Stanley Wealth. You know, can you be more efficient? You know, can you have more tools? Can you look up things faster? You know, can you maybe have, you know, 150 clients instead of 100 clients, maybe. Uh, So can these tools make you more efficient? 100%. But you know, this idea that you're going to have massive job losses and everything is going to be electronic. I'm not sure about that. You know, this is why I believe uh, human touch is important. This is why I believe uh, man plus machine. And that's why I'm super excited. You know, we haven't talked about the future of work, but this really plays into the future of work because we're talking about efficiency right now. So when you think about efficiency and using AI and AI tools for efficiency, you mentioned Morgan Stanley, Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. I'm not 100% sure what they're going to do, but man plus machine equals three. And going on that notion, if you're going to be more efficient, uh, and this is why I don't think we're going to have that many job losses. You know, can the future of work look like four days? And you know, is AI going to make our lives better? Because if you can be more efficient and you could do your current job in four days, you know, is this something that we can look forward to? Imagine a three-day weekend. So, you know, I don't know what the future exactly looks like 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. But when we think about efficiency, you know, this is the whole thing. You're going to be more productive. And if we're going to be more productive, you know, what are you going to be able to do with some of your free time? You know, potentially this is the first step. What I'm suggesting here is uh, this notion of a four-day work week is something that, you know, can happen. I'm not saying today, you know, maybe 20, 30, 40 years down the line as you have more and more adoption. But this is why I'm not so negative on terms of mass jobs and layoffs and the fear that you were talking about, because I still think that you need that human touch. I think we still need people. I still think we're going to have business. We're still going to have office. We're still going to have office towers. I know there's a lot of debate about if it's going to be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but maybe, you know, it's just maybe two days in the office, maybe it's two days out of the office. But if these tools can make you more productive and if you can do things from different locations, Um, You know, I think that this is actually going to help society and make us more productive. And this is what makes me really excited is, you know, technology um, over time uh, should make us more productive.
0: Hearing your comments, the impact is already tangible, but we're like literally on just the cusp of this becoming huge, right? It's growth, whether we look at it from how it's going to impact our lives and from an investing lens, it's growth. I was reading a recent survey by Accenture, the consulting firm, and a study they did where they said only 12% of major US corporations are using AI tools at a maturity level that achieves a strong competitive advantage. So the runway for this to continue to grow and have, have attention paid to it is massive. Uh,
1: you know, we're just scratching the surface today. We stayed very high level, uh, but I think that there's a lot to learn uh, for everybody here uh, and technology, technology adoption, and the future of work, uh, you know, is something I'm really excited and passionate about. And we are in the business of uh, managing client portfolios. And, you know, this is gonna be
0: exciting times. Sage advice and great insights in this conversation. I'm going to refer to this particular podcast as Part One because there's going to be a lot more to talk about over the next while.
1: Hundred percent, and you know, nobody exactly knows how it's going to play out, right? Uh, and that's what you know. To me, it makes it interesting, and you know, the world is always uncertain, but that also leads to opportunity. And you know, this goes back to uh, invest with advice. Uh, this goes back to active management. Um, you know, everything we stand
0: for, uh, I think is going to be super exciting because there's definitely uh, money to be made in this space. Well, Michelle, until next time, thanks for joining us. Then to all of our listeners, thanks for joining us again for another edition of On The Money. Great. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to another edition of On The Money with Dynamic Funds. For more information on Dynamic and our complete lineup of actively managed funds, Contact your financial advisor or visit our website at
2: dynamic.ca. Thanks for joining us. This audio has been prepared by 1832 Asset Management LP and is provided for information purposes only. Views expressed regarding a particular investment, economy, industry, or market sector should not be considered an indication of trading intent of any of the mutual funds managed by 1832 Asset Management LP. These views are not to be relied upon as investment advice, nor should they be considered a recommendation to buy or sell. These views are subject to change at any time based upon markets and other conditions, and we disclaim any responsibility to update such views. To the extent this audio contains information or data obtained from third-party sources, it is believed to be accurate and reliable as of the date of publication. But 1832 Asset Management LP does not guarantee its accuracy or reliability. Nothing in this document is or should be relied upon as a promise or representation as to the future. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compound total returns, including changes in unit values. And reinvestment of all distributions does not take into account sales, redemption, or option changes, or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated.